DoorDash is a food delivery company where users find restaurants to order from. When a user opens the DoorDash app, the user can search for types of food or specific restaurants from the search bar, or they can scroll through the feed section and look at recommendations that the DoorDash app gives them within their specific local geographic area. Recommendations is a classic computer science problem. Much like sorting or geographical mapping or scheduling resources in a computer system, we will probably never solve recommendations. We will adapt our recommendation systems based off of discoveries in computer science and software engineering. One pattern that has been utilized recently by software engineers in many different areas is the word-to-vec style strategy of embedding entities in a vector space and then finding relationships between those entities. If you have never heard of Word2Vec, you can listen to the episode that we did with computer scientist and venture capitalist Adrian Collier, or you can listen to this episode in which we will describe the Word2Vec algorithm with a few brief examples. Store2Vec is a strategy used by DoorDash to model restaurants in vector space and find relationships between those restaurants in order to generate recommendations. Mitchell Koch is a senior data scientist with DoorDash, and he joins the show to discuss the applications of Store2Vec and the more general strategy of Word2Vec-like systems. This episode is also a great companion to our episode about data infrastructure at DoorDash. It was a lot of fun to talk to Mitchell. He knows a ton about data science and specifically the word-to-vec style algorithm strategies, which seem to be quite flexible. Mitchell Coach, you are a senior data scientist and machine learning engineer at DoorDash. Welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. DoorDash is an application for ordering food and getting that food delivered to you. We did a show a while ago with one of your colleagues, and that show was quite interesting because we delved deep into the data infrastructure of DoorDash. I think today we'll talk a little bit more about data engineering, but more on the side of how that data infrastructure is actually used to write algorithms that are useful to the end user. So a user logs onto DoorDash and they find a restaurant to eat at and they order that food to be delivered. If I'm using the DoorDash mobile app, if I'm looking for a restaurant, what are the different ways in the app that I can find a restaurant? Sure, yeah. So, I mean, first of all, yeah, I mean, this this problem, it's it's definitely an important problem that we're, we're looking at. So when you as a customer come to the DoorDash app, we want to show you, you know, the best selection we can. The first thing you'll see will be carousels, essentially, or, or clusters of related restaurants related to some theme. There will also be just a list of, of, of stores that are recommended to you. And, of course, we have search as well. Right. So I can search to find food. So let's say I make a request to the search engine for burger what happens if I just search burger on the app? Yeah, so with that, what's going on is we'll recognize that burger is a cuisine type in that case. 
and display burger restaurants. So that, that would be different than if you were searching for maybe a particular type of item or uh, another type of item, something like that, or, you know, like healthy, those would be treated differently. There are some elements of the DoorDash search engine that are processed offline in batch jobs. There are other aspects of the search process that are in real time. So when I enter in that search query, burger, obviously the search results are being calculated and served to me in real time, but some aspects of the search index are processed beforehand. Tell me more about the offline versus online computations of responding to a search query. Yeah, that's a great question. So we want to compute offline different attributes of the consumer based on previous orders, as well as compute offline attributes of the stores, things like you know how, how popular a store, a store might be, what types of items it has at aggregate levels, and you know, talk a little bit more about that later in terms of other ways of representing stores too. But once we have those attributes of the consumer in the store, everything else is done online because it's, if you think about it, computing, you know, if, if we have, you know, so many consumers that have used DoorDash, we wouldn't want to compute all that information for all the consumers ahead of time. It's, uh, it would be a little bit wasteful on the, on the data side there. How are my previous orders being factored into the results of the search query? Cause obviously if I've gotten a burger from a certain place before, it should impact what I'm searching for today. So how does that factor in? Yeah. So right now, so I guess I'd separate out the, the problem of the core search. We're actually inputting something, searching for something versus the recommendations that we will surface to you directly on the homepage, which that's what we call the, the store feed. So right now, the store feed is personalized to you. Search is not personalized right now. And I think that's, that's generally a, a big question that you know, people have when they're approaching the search problem is, do we want search to be personalized or not? We currently do not, but we may, we may decide to in the future if we can incorporate personalization in a good way. Cool. Okay. So that, that makes for an interesting point that we can revisit later. Generally speaking, there are these two types of finding a restaurant that will approach in this episode. The first is that search query where you are entering in an intent of a place to find to eat. Another is this feed. If I scroll down in the DoorDash app, I'm looking through this feed of restaurants that are being recommended to me. This is more personalized. Mm -hmm. In both of these cases, you have a matter of location because you only want to recommend restaurants or you only want to return search results about restaurants that are within a vicinity of that user. And that leads to a sparseness in the data that you're returning to a user. Explain what that means in this context, the sparseness of the location-based recommendations or search results. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that really comes to really the core of the problem that we're dealing with. So, you know, with DoorDashing this technology platform to connect you with local businesses, 
it's a very different problem than the typical e-commerce problem, where, which is what people tend to think about in terms of recommender systems. So as we are dealing with, as you can only order from stores that are near you, that you know, when you think about, okay, if, you know, typically the way people might, th people think about, you know, the first thing people tend to think about when they're approaching a recommender system is something like collaborative filtering, or you have a matrix of, in this case, you know, consumers and stores more broadly, users and items. So in this case, that matrix would be very sparse. So we don't approach it like that directly. Instead, we use the kind of technique called a, a knowledge-based recommender system, where instead of thinking about it as a matrix, we're instead taking, in our case, a consumer and a store at a time. So these consumer-store pairs, and based on the attributes of the consumer and the store, even common attributes like has a consumer ordered from cuisines that the, the store is a part of? All those kinds of attributes enter into our models. So what we're, what we're doing is we are at a high level the way our recommender system works, and, and there, are, there are other pieces as well that do capture related information, but at a high level, how it works, it is a supervised learning system where the input is a consumer store pair and the output is a score that we rank once we compute for all the stores what those scores are for you then we can rank order those so in giving people recommendations you want to be able to surface what is known as latent information can you explain what latent information is yeah so so latent simply means hidden think about it in terms of latent states in a in a model in our case what it really comes down to is, if you think about if you don't have latent information, then what you're dealing with are just the direct attributes that you can see. So we might have a particular restaurant labeled as a pizza restaurant, and, and maybe it's a pizza and American, something like that. But that's not really all the information that we'd want to know about such a restaurant. Maybe it is, you know, a particularly trendy, you know, new kind of pizza, and somebody who likes, you know a similarly trendy kind of Mexican food might also like that pizza restaurant. So with that latent information, we're trying to capture some of these additional sort of, you know, taste factors, you know, is it, does it, is it something that has sweet things or, you know, it could be anything. And so the way, the way we do that is through vector representations. Okay. And we'll get into that in a little bit more detail with the discussion of store to vec a little bit later, but can you just tell me more generally about how the recommendation strategy in feed works compared to maybe other recommendation systems that you've seen around the industry? Like how does a recommendation system for food differ from content recommendation systems or recommendations of people you may know on LinkedIn? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So you know, I, th I think it really comes down to what is the product purpose of, of such a such a store feed? What do people, you know, really want to get out of, of a feed? In some ways, it, it is similar to, to content recommendations or, or any of these other types of recommendations. I think one big thing here is you will actually tend to order from the same restaurants 
over and over, at least a lot of people do. So it's not necessarily the case that we only want to show you new things, whereas with content, it's always new. If you're thinking about Twitter, for example, you know, everything's brand new. They're, you know, they have to refresh their models all the time. For us, I mean, I think, so I think one, one big piece here is even just assessing what is the overall quality of stores independent of the personalization aspect is very valuable as well. Okay. Well, let's start to talk about store to vec In order to talk about store to vec I think we should t- first talk about the algorithm known as Word2Vec. So th- this is a very flexible family of algorithms. But let's just start with Word2Vec. What is Word2Vec? Yeah, so Word2Vec is it's this very interesting algorithm came out of the natural language processing community in around 2013 that has to do with representing words as vectors, which people had done some before, but this was really the, the first place where people saw a lot of success with this. And so what they were able to do is, you know, in this way of representing words as vectors, create vectors that have very semantic representations. So if you have something like, you can do something like where you have the vector for the word king, and you do king minus man plus woman, you can end up with queen, which I think was surprising to them as well. But this, you know, this is, this is really the basis for, you know, a lot of the, these other kinds of similarity vectorization techniques. In word to vec we can model sentences and words within an embedding space. Can you explain what it means to use an embedding space? Sure. It's, it's, it's simply a specified and dimensional vector space. And a good way to think about it as is really as part of a neural network architecture. And lots of neural neural networks will have these types of vectors in them. Essentially you start out with inputs to your neural network that might be, you know, many, many inputs. You'll want to reduce that down to something that can then be used for the rest of the neural network task. And so essentially with word to vec the neural network, it can be predicting what is the context of a word given the word. So it's this kind of word similarity task in this case. So we can use word to vec to model these words in an embedding space. We can, for example, create a vector of numbers that are associated with how close other words appear to a given word. So for example, the word king might, in a, in a, a large corpus of different sentences that are modeled, you might have king having a frequent adjacency to the word royalty or to the word man, so that you can learn over time that contextually, king is related to both royalty and a man. And similarly, you would see queen be related to royalty and woman. And this is just because if you take in a bunch of sentences and model the words in terms of their relationship to other words in given sentences, you can build a spatial model that gives a mathematical representation to where words are relative to other words in a sentence on average. So once we have modeled all of these different words in space and we can have spatial relationships 
that relate these words to one another, what can we do with that? Why is that useful? Yeah, so in the case of Word2Vec, it's really about if you have these, it's really about being being useful for other natural language processing tasks, being able to say, you know, what, you know, what kind of word would fit in a particular context. For us, we're, you know, with, with Store2Vec, this provides sort of the foundation for, for store similarity, which we can then use to improve our personalization. Yeah, okay. So maybe in the in the word to vec situation, maybe you could use it to, for example, if you're building a, a model of natural language, you could use it to be able to process new sentences and derive the meaning from the words in those sentences. And you could eventually train over time to get better at those relationships between the words. So, yeah, and so you can think about, you know, for other natural language processing tasks, you know, whenever you're, you might be having a kind of a, a language model or something like that, where you're generating text, being able to use these trained word vectors as part of those, that overall neural network can be helpful. So word to vec can be generalized to other types of entities. So we may not want to just model things in terms of words having relationships to one another, we might want to model, for example, stores and stores having relationships to one another. Explain why Word2Vec is generalizable to other types of entities. Sure, yeah. It really comes down to what is, to this concept of a vector embedding. Essentially, that's what Word2Vec is about. It's saying, okay, we we have these words, we want to represent them as vectors, and then that allows them to, as you, as you said, view them in this n-dimensional space, and so we can see what is similar to each other once we have these these vectors. So that same concept, you know, we'd want to apply that to other types of entities in general other than words that are important to us. And how we do that, how we do that might might differ from the way word-to-vec processes, text corpuses. But in general, we we should be able to find some way for, for different tasks to achieve this. So you worked on this system for DoorDash called Store2Vec. Can you explain at a high level what Store2Vec is? Yeah, so it's it's really about this same you know conceptual issue. So in our case, you know, we have these stores on our platform. We want to, you know, we we know certain attributes about them, but really we want to be able to capture, you know, this additional latent information. You know, is it a is it a store that sort of sweet things, things like that that wouldn't be captured anywhere else in the data that we have? So we want to represent these stores as as vectors. That's really the the high level goal here, and that allows us to then once we have those vectors, say, okay, what stores are similar to other stores, and also. Based on a consumer's order history, we can say what stores are most similar to the stores the consumers ordered from. So what are the stores that are similar to a consumer, essentially, as well? Right. So in this embedding space, we want to make every store a vector, an in-dimensional vector. What are those dimensions of a store vector? Because we need to put these stores into this modeling space so that we can do spatial similarities and, and equations between them. But mm-hmm. what are the dimensions? What numerically speaking? Yeah, that's that's yeah, it's an interesting question because yeah, the dimensions, you know, on their own, you know, sometimes they'll mean something, 
you know, looking at a particular element of the vector, sometimes not, but really they are just what is most helpful overall in terms of determining whatever the task is that is being achieved. So in the case of word to vec it's placing these words in these n dimensions such that similar, similar words are close to each other in this space. But what those particular elements are is not specified. So j- just to, to help understand this, w- when I've looked at some recommendation systems in the past that are doing vector-based analysis, they oftentimes take dimensions like category of movie or number of mm-hmm. stars from a given user. These things that are are sort of numerically defined elsewhere or like, is this a movie that is in the horror category? And then if you have these numerical dimensions that have been defined, then you can derive you know, relationships between these different vectors. But here we're taking more of a word-based approach. It's it's not like these are it's not like we're taking, you know, categories or geographical information. This is related to the words that are or well or other stores that are related to or other restaurants, I should say, that are related to these restaurants. So explain a little bit more about the corpus that is being used to model these stores, the information that is being used to create these vectors. Yeah, so I think it helps to think about what is the, the corpus that we're, that we're dealing with here. In the case of word to vec the corpus is natural language text. We're looking at words that are... For a particular word, we're looking at a window around it, and those are the context words. For us, what we're doing is saying what stores are in the same session, or what stores has a consumer viewed in the same session as this store. And so that is our context that, that we're using. So stores that are viewed in the same session, those will be closer together in this, in this store to vec space. Okay, so let's go through the process of taking these these stores and putting them into the embedding space. So describe like a store, for example, like let's say a burger restaurant. What goes into the process of making that burger restaurant able to be put into an embedding space and and what does that look like once it's in the embedding space? Yeah, so the, the process is that the data set that we're taking in is has to do with sessions. So sessions that consumers have engaged in on our website, our app, and all it contains is, okay, these stores were viewed in this session. And so what we're doing is we are we're going through those, those stores, and if they were viewed in the same session, that's we're creating these essentially sentences that will then use really the word to vec algorithm directly as it is. And that allows us to, so as we go through these sentences of stores, essentially, along the way, we're, for each store, we are maintaining a vector that will be essentially moved closer together to vectors of stores that appear in the same session as other ones as we go through this algorithm. So let's say there's a user that sits down and they're flipping through the DoorDash app 
they're looking at 4505 Meats, and it's a burger place. And then they look at Osha Thai, and it's a Thai restaurant. And then they're looking at Smitten Ice Cream, and it's an ice cream place. And then they end up ordering from, let's say, 4505 Meats. What would that session, how would that map to a vector that we would put into our embedding space? Right. So that it wouldn't map to a vector on its own, but rather that session represents essentially a single sentence that we're using in the entire training process. In the entire training process, we're looking at millions of these sessions and the and the algorithm based on based on these is saying so based on this one, based on this particular session, what we're saying is okay, four four five oh five and spit and ice cream and OSHA tie those are all related in some way. So it's essentially this particular session is making those vectors a little bit closer to each other, but there are probably some other sessions that that will make those restaurants closer to other restaurants as well. Mm -hmm. So each store has its own vector in the embedding space? Yes. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. And the dimensions of each store vector are based on the frequency of other stores in user sessions. Yes, the the values of the vectors, yes. Right, okay. So 4505 meets has its own vector in this embedding space, and it might have, you know, a high ranking for smitten ice cream because people, you know, you have latent information there that people like to get ice cream after they get a hamburger. And maybe Osha Thai is a lower number because people who like Thai food, you know, don't like 4505 meats for some reason or another, that you have another latent piece of information. So if I understand correctly, you have all these user sessions, and these user sessions are used to train the the vectors of each restaurant in this embedding space. That's right, Jeff, yes. Okay, great. Then you have to have the consumer vectors. So let's say I'm a user. I have my history of things that I've eaten at, where do I fit into this embedding space, and why do you need to put users into the embedding space as well? Ah, uh, yeah. So this is so I guess so. Yeah, really, kind of first bringing it back to what we talked about before with the recommender system overall. You know, we have this at the high level there. It's a supervised learning system, but we want to capture this additional latent information. So really, we want to be able to say, okay, there's you know, we have this input of you know, you the consumer and a particular store. And we want to know, well, how similar is this store to you based on this latent information? So, and that's, that ends up being one feature that's brought into the overall model as a whole. So, what we're really trying to use StoreDevec here for is to say, okay, what are these restaurants that are similar to the other restaurants that you've ordered from, but may not necessarily appear that way just based on the attributes that we explicitly, you know, encoded in our database, like it's a burger restaurant. So to do that, the way we do that is we need to have a vector for you, the consumer. And the way we do that is we take your previous orders, what stores you ordered from previously, and we have vectors for those. So we do is average those vectors together. And that vector becomes your consumer vector. And then we can say what stores are similar to your consumer vector. And if you take my consumer vector and you know you now have that information, you now have some degree of closeness 
to other stores, to to restaurants that uh, I may not have eaten at, how can you use that information to create recommendations? Yeah, so, okay, so what we're doing is, in the recommendation algorithm is we are looking at all the stores that are available to you, and there are features that are part of that based on attributes of the consumer in the store. One of the features here is store to vec distance. So the distance from that particular store to your consumer vector. So yeah, I mean, you can think about it. So I guess maybe, maybe a better way to think about it first, maybe an easier way to think about it first is to say, what if we were to rank just based on store to vec? So just based on store to vec, what we would do is we have your consumer vector. We would just show you the stores that are closest to your consumer vector. That ranking... So does that, does that make sense, first of all? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, so essentially what we're doing is we're taking that ranking and we're combining it with other factors as well, like quality factors about the store and other factors based on your order history, like, pr- like price ranges you like and things like that. And all that together becomes what, what are the recommendations that we show you. Okay, and how did you validate that this was actually a useful data point because you know you don't want to roll out a recommendation system completely to all of your users and then find that it actually doesn't have any significance so explain how you put the results from the store to vec tests into an experimentation process yeah yeah so this is this is definitely very important to you know how we do machine learning overall at DoorDash so really the, the overall overall process first is just kind of lay it out for you is when we're developing a supervised learning system, like the recommendation system is, when we're developing such a system, what we want to do is be able to test it offline. So to be able to get some kind of metric offline for how it performs. And that enables us to iterate on the algorithm offline. So you know, not not actually running tests on users, but just based on data that we have offline. And determine when we're making prog- as we're making progress. Then, once we've selected a version of the recommender system or the machine learning system that we think is the best, or you know maybe even a few of those, then we will run A/B tests or you know, multivariate tests to actually measure how it performs in the real world. Okay, and what's your bar for how well it would have to do there? How do you know that it's improving the results? Yeah, so so with the recommender system, what we're doing is we want, so we need some kind of performance metric. We need to be able to say how well is, you know, how well, how well these recommendations perform. So to do that, we need an offline training and test set. So what we're doing there is we need to have labeled examples that say, in this case, so what is what is the recommender system? What is this recommendation algorithm doing? What it is doing is it is saying for a particular consumer and store, what is will the consumer order from that store or not? So if we show a consumer store, will they order or not? That's that's really the what this algorithm is doing. So it's optimized for conversion, showing you stores that you will order from. So what our training set needs to look like is it needs to show examples of these consumer store pairs and the, the features from them and yes or no as to did they order. So in the, so it's a, this is, you can think about this as being a binary classification algorithm. The algorithm takes in some input 
and it's outputting, will they order or will they not order? Now, we don't actually use the, what we're actually doing is using the probability as our score. So we're saying, what is the probability that the consumer orders from the store? It still falls under this binary classification framework overall. Okay, so the metric that we that we will then use to evaluate, well, I guess, yeah, okay. So so first of all, we are, we train an algorithm. Okay, so we, that, that, that's, that's how we have the positive examples. I should also mention how we have negative examples of how do we get the examples of when people not order. So for that, we use this concept of noise contrastive estimation. So we're bringing in stores that you could have ordered from, but you did not order from. Those are kind of our examples of non-orders. And the idea here is that the algorithm needs to be able to distinguish the true orders from the noise. And that's what makes a good algorithm in this case. So what we do here is we can then train a machine learning algorithm based on this, on the training set. And then we can test it on a held out development test set or test set. And that will, and what we can do is we can evaluate, you know, we have the labels for did they order, did they not order, and we can evaluate things like what is, so of the, of the true orders, how many did they actually order from, that's the precision, or how, you know, of the, you know, we can get the recall. And the metric that we actually use is the, is what's called the area under the precision recall curve. And that is, that is really, that is a metric that will not necessarily change with the magnitude of the score. So it allows us a metric to use to evaluate the ranking as a whole. I think it's worth stepping back here and examining the word to VEC, or I should say store to VEC, or maybe you could generalize it to X to VEC, uh, let's say store to VEC approach in contrast to this other approach that you might take if you were just looking at, for example, the spiciness of food or these other kind of things that you could just get from a knowledge base, like the spiciness of food or the number of star ratings that the restaurant has on Yelp or you know some sentiment analysis around how good the ratings are from a store on Yelp, like these written, you know, sentiment analysis reviews. How do you test those kinds of algorithms versus store to vec? How did you c- come across the idea that store to vec was going to be a better source of recommendations? Yeah, it really comes down to how do we capture latent information. So because our uh, existing recommender system without store to vec, because of that sparsity problem that we talked about earlier, that was based mostly on these attributes, you know, these particular attributes that we had. So we really want, wanted to integrate latent information in some way. And, you know, this kind of, these kind of, you know, word to vec, vectorization, vector embedding techniques that provides a way of incorporating latent information. Whereas, yeah, I mean, would love to hear if you have ideas about <laughs> other algorithms for, for doing that. But yeah, that's, that's what we found to be a path forward there. Right. Yeah, you know, I guess that is a, that is a pretty good source. And like, if you think about what is your largest source of engagement of a user with the DoorDash platform, I suppose the longest period of time where the user is focused on 
information that would be relevant to DoorDash and relevant to that user's recommendation is as they are scrolling through their feed and consuming information about that feed. So obviously, if you could track their eye movements and have more granular information about you know, how they're consuming information during a DoorDash session, you would be able to train, you know, something on that. But in reality, the best data you have is which stores are they viewing? And it's it's more of a consumptive experience. It's they're, they're reading it. And so, but really the only action that they're giving you is which stores they're looking at and in what order they are looking at them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that, and that's that's what we're doing. It's it's based on you know what do they actually tap into and, and spend their time viewing. And when you talk about these latent features, after you're done training this model, are you able to zoom out and say, okay, here is a concrete feature that we can say, you know, this is a latent feature, but we can actually describe what this feature is, or is it just some vague numerical representation that you can't actually talk about with confidence? Yeah, so it probably is possible to identify some of the particular factors if, you know, that is useful for the particular application. For us, what we care most about is just the similarity itself. So we're just using the vector as a whole and and looking at the distance between the vectors. Okay, got it. Now, we did this previous show with Raghav about the DoorDash data infrastructure, and we don't need to rehash that stuff in detail, but can you talk about how you used the DoorDash data platform and just what what your process was for getting the information you need and how you were able to take advantage of some of the tooling that DoorDash has built? Yeah. So yeah, so at DoorDash, you know, so some of the big things that we used was our our overall sort of ETL uh, extract transform load system where we are able to then run these kind of larger machine learning based jobs. And so for this particular for this particular application, we're taking advantage of that to do the large scale data processing necessary for training the stored vec vectors, training the consumer vectors as well. And then that data that is computed offline on our on our data platform is brought over to our search service, which then live will be able to compute the recommendations and execute the recommendation algorithm, which has been trained offline. And were there any unexpected challenges in working with the tooling, getting this from testing into production? Yes, this was one of the first use cases around our sort of large-scale, or rather you know, high-compute machine learning setup on ETL. So yeah, as, as, we, as we develop this, we work closely with our data infrastructure and uh, ML infrastructure teams on being able to sort of establish the best practices around these types of high compute jobs. Cool. There was one other area of recommendations that I thought might be uh, worth discussing, which is email. Is is there anything about email recommendations that because you know, we kind of discussed how you know search and feed are two environments where you could give recommendations, but these are different formats than email. So how does email factor into a recommendations process? So yeah, so we've you know from time to time we'll send different types of emails with 
that you, where we also need to display the, the stores that are most relevant to the consumer. And so part of that is being able to run our recommendations algorithm in batch over all the consumers. And so we can generate those recommendations that then can be surfaced in email. So it's, it's really, it's a very similar process, except in this case, the recommendations are not computed live, but they're actually, they actually are computed in batch. And for that, we actually currently use Spark to do that because that, at this point, we're really, you know, it, it, it is absolutely a big data problem. And so it makes sense to use this kind of distributed computing to, to run these types of jobs. You've been at DoorDash for four years, and you've seen a rise in machine learning tooling and obviously the volume of data. What has changed in terms of the machine learning infrastructure, and how has your job changed at DoorDash? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I started... Yeah, I started at DoorDash in, in 2014. You know, I joined as the as the the eighth engineer. You know, now we have you know well over 100 engineers. At that point, we were in just four major markets, I believe. I think we were launching in Chicago around that time. Now we're in over 6,000 cities. You know, almost every every state in the U.S. and, and much of Canada. So it's you know the scale of what we're doing is definitely you know, a lot bigger than when I started. And, you know, similarly, our our technology and our systems have improved quite a bit since then. So, yeah, when, when, I, when I started, the one of the first problems I was working on was actually our, our problem of ETAs, quota times. How do we estimate how long a delivery will take and be able to display that to the user? At that time, our that kind of, you know, there we didn't have kind of separate machine learning systems for doing that. It was really part of our overall kind of backend system. And, you know, part of the evolution of our architecture is being able to break out these separate microservices, like I think Raghav might have talked about our prediction service that is, is now used for those types of serving those types of machine learning predictions. Okay. Well, Mitchell Coach, I want to thank you for coming on the show. It's been really fun talking to you about StoreDevec. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Wow.